I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Bill Fitch on the show today of Hillside and also Vinegar Hill House in Brooklyn. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> How are you now? <laughs> now it's even better. <laughs> so, so buddy, you were uh, you weren't uh, you weren't so into the wine originally, but you were doing some other stuff, and you know what kind of happened along the way. Um. Yeah, I didn't really. It wasn't in the. I would say the mid to late '80s. The whole idea of a sommelier was something that was that happened somewhere else. It was far away. It wasn't really an option, at least to me, in Oregon. Um, but I got I got into it through perfume. Um, I was really into olfaction uh, because I hadn't been able to smell for a little while, for maybe a year and a half. Who knows? Um, and what was I, that about? What was the not smelling about? How did that happen? Um, I I had uh, broken my nose a lot. Uh, I was Oregon, lots of mold in Oregon. I'm not sure, but I I had a cluster of polyps, um, <laughs> disgustingly, in my sinuses. And I just hadn't noticed that I couldn't smell. But when I couldn't breathe, I had to go to the hospital. And uh, after surgery, the doctor told me that I hadn't probably been able to smell for a while. And I got really into perfume after that. Mm. I, I remember the first thing I could smell after the antibiotics and the painkillers wore off. It was mulligatawny soup. But anyway, um, I got into perfume, and I used to spend way too much money on women's perfume and spray my pillow at night, and um, obsessing about the ingredients, the stories behind the perfumes. Um, And basically, a friend sort of took pity on me and told me that wine was also olfactory. And he worked in this place that was kind of legendary in Portland called the Vatten Tauncher. And uh, he got me a job there I th- very soon thereafter. I can't remember exactly. but So I got super into wine there. Um, not really systematically, but they had about 1,000 European wines and about 10 or so uh, Oregon wines. And that was it. So I tasted a lot. Um, read a lot, got sort of obsessed with, I don't know, the idea of a sommelier. Um, 
or just sort of some, an aesthetic expert um, at the time. I read tons of books about it. Because um, I remember when we first met, you were telling me about that Luca Turin book about oh, the, yeah, right. the emperor sent. Uh-huh. Yeah, that I, I encountered my, uh, well a bit later, once I got to New York. But like, you know, there were like, in, in Imperial China, there were, there were experts about, um, experts on uh, cricket songs. And there were um, experts about like the putrefaction, the beauties of, the, of putrefying bound feet. And um, I just kind of was very interesting to me. And not that wine is like putrefying bound feet, but kind of. And, uh, I, you know, so I didn't really get a systematic knowledge in Oregon about, you know, like, like I sort of did later. But I just kind of jumped into it as a hobby, sort of. And I, and I worked with it a bit. Um, well, you're also doing some traveling. Yeah, I traveled a lot. Um, I, I was, uh, had this uh, family of Bosnian refugees that I was sort of supporting and were living in my house. How did that happen? Um, how did it happen? I basically, I met this uh, a, a brother and sister in Paris after I'd been traveling a lot. Um, and I learned all about what was going on in the former Yugoslavia. This was during a period of time when there was a lot of people being killed there. Oh, yeah. It was about 93, 94, 93. And uh, so, yeah, I'd, 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 just been, I'd, I'd been sort of traveling for almost 18 months, bikes, bicycle travels, all kinds of silly, you know, um, not very morally demanding activities. And I just felt really... Actually, it happened for a lot of people from my generation. The, the whole Bosnia thing uh, sort of, I guess, inspired, uh, made a lot of people sort of commit to doing stuff. A lot of journalists I know, that's where they started. Um, but anyway, so I thought I should try to do something. And um, in the end, I had to marry this girl, one of the people I met, because their whole family was going to get sent back to Bosnia. The father was already was still there in Sarajevo, and uh, so I thought maybe I could get her uh, some kind of uh, translating, some kind of work visa where she could then invite her family. Um, but I couldn't, so I married her, <clears throat> and they all came to live with me little by little, and drove me absolutely nuts. Um, I love them terribly, but it was absolutely crazy. But anyway, during that time, I was doing all kinds of jobs to support them. I was working with a lot of other refugees, uh, bringing refugees with a group, a nonprofit group that started to bring refugees to Portland. How many people did you bring over? Well, altogether, 2,500, because there was a larger organization that worked with Vietnamese refugees. It had started during the Vietnam War. And first we went to them to ask them what we should do and how we could do this. And they're like, once we, they get, they'll get grant money if there's population of 2,500. So we kind of were working towards that over, I don't know, a couple of years. And a few, many more people joined. We started the, the, uh, the club of Bosnia and Herzegovina, which was basically this, we rented this little space with a pool, pool table and they loved it. Like we thought how hideous, but they would come all the time and talk, play pool, drink, cook, you know, look, cook. Their, their specialties. 
The alternative would be to stay in their own country and get shot at. <laughs> well, by snipers. or like stay in their little apartments and that we found that all over Portland. But it was like a little social group that they. Anyway, I was into that for a long time, and that's when I started working at this place, the Vat and Tauncher, or actually where I started working at it the second time. Um, but uh, but yeah, I didn't. It's not like I expected I would ever work in wine. I was just I, I was dreaming about traveling more and finally getting these people settled and then get the fuck out and <clears throat> which i did finally you were able to kind of to separate yourself from the the movement a little bit and get out of town yeah you know the war why the war ended basically the war so 95 yeah basically around the time when it was over um and my own particular family uh was self-sufficient i uh yeah, I started. I, I went to Mexico. I went to Madagascar. I actually went to Sarajevo, and then I came back to New York, needing work. Um, still paying rent for them in Portland, so I needed quick work, some money. Yeah, <clears throat> and so I got a job at Il Buco. They needed a wine waiter. You know, they didn't say sommelier. It wasn't really. Um, you know, there was there was like what Roger de Gorm. There were. Maybe I'm sure there were, but I didn't know of them, and it wasn't like there's a gazillion of them like now. Um, so they just hired me just from talking. You know, I, learned, I knew enough about wine to help customers pick wine on their list. Um, and then right around that time, a few months after, this is like '98, um, the Andrew uh, American Sommelier Association was giving was starting their first certification courses, and I, I don't know if I was in the first year, or the second year. I think maybe the second year. Um, so Il Buco basically paid for me to do that. And that was the sort of systematic knowledge that I got. I mean, light, but at least I had a you know, sort of an umbrella about, you know, of knowledge or of, of information about the world's wines. What was Il Buco like at that time in 98? Uh, it's kind of awesome. Yeah. I, I, I'm st- I mean, I, it was so awesome that I'm still sort of a part of the, their whole, I don't know, dysfunctional family. Um, I go there all the time, but it was... Um, I, I would say it was kind of a, it was very, very much a party scene. I, I, an ex-girlfriend of mine had been one of their first servers and she's the one that told me they needed a wine person. And I remember it when it first opened in like 94, 95, something like that. And it really was like a party, an antique shop with not much capacity to serve people, but it was super fun and like old East Villagey, um, kind of way. But uh, by '98, it was becoming more of a restaurant. Um, it was it was a restaurant, and uh, they got a real bar. Um, but I I just learned a lot. I don't know. It was just raw, you know, and going to every table, talking about wine, like a, you know, being a sommelier. Nasser had been there. Oh yeah, Nasser was the. F- I guess he did the first wine list, and uh, in fact, we even found like their their the bowels of Ilbuka are vast, and. Um, we found some of the wines that I think he had put on, or at least was thinking of putting on, like some strange Romanian wines. Um, with and I remember one of the labels of the Romanian bottle said "the greatest wine in the world." <laughs> it was awesome, but uh, yeah, he'd been there. He came. I, I'm yeah. He 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 came in a lot actually. And um, what was but, he like? Because I've never met him. Uh, well, he and I sort of got along because we both uh, studied classics okay. in school. So 
Um, but he was, you know, smart, kind of, you know, into the pleasures of wine. And, I, you know, in my mind, he's kind of one of the first, I don't know, wine consultants. I don't know if that's true, but, like, I know he did, like, a, a few wine lists without actually being a sommelier in them. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, I didn't know him that well, just from serving him, and then we'd go out sometimes afterwards. But uh, And Roberto Paris was around? Roberto came just a few, a bit before me, um, and uh, we're uh, blood brothers. Is that true? No. We're not blood brothers, but, we're, <laughs> but, <laughs> but we're, you're close. Oh yeah, yeah. We're you haven't actually slashed open a finger. Psychotic, fraternal. I don't know, freak brothers. But uh, um, and Alfredo was there. He's back now. You know, Alfredo Ruiz, who, used, who I guess worked for. Um, he worked for Babo. He worked for Del Posto. Now he's back at the Alimentari. So it's kind of I like to go there because it's like my old family. I had a really good meal there not too long ago. Me too. It's insanely good food. But uh, yeah, so Roberto, um, R- Roberto was sort of the manager, the sort of the head of the wine program to a degree. I can't remember how. Maybe Alfredo was. I don't know. But anyway, Savio Suarez was there. Um, at one point, he became a manager. So different people were sort of the overseers of the wine program. What was Savio like back then? Um, uh, he was all gung ho. He was. He had all kinds of things. Um, <clears throat> bought a lot of wine. Changed the wine list a bit, um, if I remember correctly. More Austrian stuff. Um, you know, stuff that he was into then. Um, but he was. You know, he's he's a a, a very interesting character. Cool personality. Um, <clears throat> but uh, finally, I don't know what how he left. He went back to Europe or something. I can't remember. But. Uh, so you, yeah, hmm? you actually moved more in that Nostra direction of doing some more consulting yourself. Yeah, I, I first, I did, uh, I had some friends who, once I was certified, um, I had some friends who were opening a place called Stella, um, which was kind of awesome, but it was an all new world, which was somewhat of a challenge. Challenge for you, because you'd come from mostly European. Kind of, I mean, it, was, it was a challenge just because aesthetically or whatever, like we, one would think that, you know, geeks like European wines more. Although then it was a little different. Um, but it was it was it was a fun list, I thought. Um and the place was great. Um and it kind of died with 9-11 because it was on McDougal south of Houston. And that really uh, I don't know if you remember, but like <clears throat> changed everything. And especially south of Houston. So we were slamming, packed. Um and then boom, nothing. But then uh, also the, the park, you, that place is still there, 10th and 17th Street. Um, they asked me to do their wine list, um, which was fun. Um, basically, I got a f- several different consulting gigs just to make the wine list, buy the, be the wine buyer as a consultant, which was great. I could just wear jeans, just ride my bike around, taste wines. It didn't suck. <clears throat> and after a few years, I, I was able to, uh, even get off the floor at Ibuco, which was also kind of great. Um, but then um, in 2004, my wife uh, got transferred to Paris, and we moved to Paris. And uh, and she was working in the magazine business. Yeah, she was a, an editor at W Magazine. And uh, but I and I wasn't allowed to work, so 
Because you, you weren't in Paris. You weren't a French citizen. Yeah, and she, no, nor was she. So she, we had a, she had a journalist visa, and as her husband, I was able to live there, but not to work for a French company or whatever. Sounds like a real bad deal, Sucked, being stuck was, in Paris and not I having was, to work. I was pounding the floor every day. <laughs> yeah, like, miserable. I have to go hang out in the cafe <laughs> again. It was the suckiest situation ever. Um, no. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. So I thought, okay, well, that's... That's the end of that. I mean, no more wine, really. I mean, in terms of career, because right, we had right. other plans, you know. <clears throat> and, and so I, I, I just, I sort, I'm still into it, but aesthetically, you know, I was, I'm really into. I like to read about dorky uh, issues about wine. Like, I think it's a, it's, 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 it's everybody likes to talk about wine, but not, in my opinion, not really about. You know, like aesthetics, and and they don't give a lot of, uh, you know, there's not a lot of deep discussion about what you think beautiful is or why you think this wine is better than another. Like we, it's sort of a lot of empty, uh, I don't know, surface verbiage, kind of a lot, which is fun in its own way, of course. But I kind of am. I, I olfaction is is not. A, it's the last sense that we don't know anything about, and it's very interesting to talk about you know the, the subjective content of our evaluations and i think it's um it would be nice to see more you know of uh quasi philosophical if not philosophical um or at least you know whatever that kind of you know talk so i i i read a lot about that when i was in paris I got really into that just as a, as a, again, as a hobby. Um, and also with perfume too, and a little bit of foot binding and <laughs> that sort of thing. Are you serious with the foot binding? Really? You got into studying it or you actually yeah. did it? Oh, oh God, no. Okay. It's I a horrible, cruel thing. I wasn't sure what you were saying there. <laughs> no, I just like the, uh, you know, well, actually I have a friend whose who's stepfather uh, writes a lot about the, uh, the Putrefaction, the beauties of putrefaction, like cheeses and things yeah, like that. Yeah, well, like Nebbiolo too, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? All kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. Like, um, and so that was there were these freaky Chinese dudes that like pontificated about the beauties of a putrefied female foot. Like that's just yeah. hideous. Yeah. <laughs> but also amazing. Yeah. Know? Like and uh and on, you know, like wabi sabi. No, I don't know what that is. Wabi-sabi is like uh, this sort of Japanese aesthetic concept um, that's sort of part of their, their tradition of poetry and uh, tea ceremony, um, that sort of thing. And it's basically about the basic principle is that everything comes from nothing and is going to nothing. And it's about like the beauties of sort of decayed things or um, unfinished things, unrefined things, um, you know, like statues that have been messed up somehow or like pottery that's that with glaze imperfections or it's the beauty of the imperfect and even, even the beauty that can be coaxed out of ugliness. Um, so that, I, that sort of thing I got into. <laughs> I often, and this is, True. Uh -huh. I often really see that as the difference between Nebbiolo geeks and, oh. and Burgundy geeks. Uh -huh. Because Burgundy, they seem to really want it to be perfect. Uh, pure. And, yeah, yeah. the pure fruit is a big Elegant. thing. 
fine. Yeah. And with Nebbiolo, uh-huh. there's something about it that they don't like that's actually the rustic, is uh-huh. how we kind of describe it. Yeah, rustic is wabi, wabi sabi is rusticity. You it's know what I mean? meanings. Yeah. And, and, uh, but the people who like Nebbiolo uh-huh. are looking for that rusticity. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that's why, even though people are like Barolo, so Burgundian, that's, I think that's a big, it's, uh-huh. it's actually an aesthetic problem. Uh-huh. The, why you don't see more of one into being into the other in reality. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I, I see it as a big difference between, well, one of the appeals of natural wine. Like, I feel like there's a lot of the, the a lot of the aesthetic of natural wine is, um, or a lot of the appeal of natural wine is, uh, is uh, approachable or whatever is, is, uh, you, you can access it through these that that sort of aesthetic. That makes a ton of sense to me. You know, like it's, and 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 obviously, I mean, not obviously, I guess, but to me, there's often excesses with that style. You know, it can be rank. I hate mouse fur, frankly, and that happens a lot. Because you, yeah, people say mousey sometimes with certain natural wines. And- yeah, I, I I believe that it's like one of the eleven manifestations of Brett. But, um, oh, is that true? Okay, I, I didn't think, know that. I mean, I, I mean, that would make sense. I read that, and it makes sense. I thought you were going to say of like the Buddha, though. I thought you were going in oh that my direction. Gosh, oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> Wouldn't no, that be funny? No, that would not really. No, that'd be <laughs> scary. But um, probably it is though. Um, no. So so yeah, I mean, some of the and it's simple, like also like punk rock and grunge are, right. are wabi sabi, like right. simple well, raw, see, raw natural wine is very punk rock. I feel like, like that's it's very like the that. same thing, you know. Like ten bells and CBGB, that's the same thing. You know what I mean? For me, at least. Wow, and it's true. Yeah, there's a rankness about both of them, huh? Yeah. And, and socially too, like how they're styled out socially, uh-huh. like you know, greasers and socias and stuff like that. There's a very punk rock aesthetic too. Dude, I think that's you know? like that's like a universal thing. Like I feel like they're. I do too. It, I like, think it can cut across it? all kinds of like social and cultural manifestations and wine is just we have that for that you know what i mean there's like classicism and romanticism and it seems like there's exactly it's a frequency that just sort of it's like delacroix and ong or delacroix all over again you know what i mean yeah that's what it is i mean i think but so yeah oh well you're in paris chilling oh yeah i'm in chair Cheris Pilling. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Paris Chilling. And, uh, and then uh, my wife leaves me. And um, does she do like Harry Krishna or something? Harry Krishna. No, she go, went to India. Oh, she went to India. Yeah, okay. she actually left. She left her job. She, she, you know, it was a big, big life change for her. And I was very proud of her and also crushed. But, um, but there I was in Paris all alone again. Oh, unbelievably miserable situation and um and i started going out a little bit more which i you know uh, and it, it was a much more domestic situation before because you were single now so yeah single, let's get out of the house and I, I, instead of drowning in my own tears i had better go out and i started to go out and um that's you know it was like the natural wine in paris was just like bones and did you walk right into it or what happened uh I had been into it in some places, but then um, my friend Jorge, who now works at Ten Bells, uh, who had been a manager at the park when I did their wine list, um, and uh, whom I love dearly, came to Paris and was like, dude. I was like, yeah, I think Paris sucks compared to New York. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, and I, and I felt it. Because I, I just hadn't, I, yeah, I kind of got to know where to go. 
Right, because you've been domesticized. And, and I've been there a while, and, you know. You're like, there's nothing to we do cooked. here. My wife loved to cook, and right. she's vegetarian, and, you know, that was our life. So I started to go out and learn, like, all these amazing places, like the Verbolet, the Baratin, a whole bunch of, of great places. So you're saying Jorge Jorge basically was my Virgil. Got yeah, it. He came. <laughs> he, he was like, get hip, dude. I can't believe you don't know this. And um, then I got really into it. And what was that scene like? Just fun. Yeah. Like you'd go to the Vervolet and Cyril was there, this guy, uh, Nico, Nicola, who's now in South America. Um, but it was, it was both, now they have an actual kitchen. Before they had a double decker toaster oven, but they were so beloved by, I think they probably still are, by all like farmers and everybody in the food world and wine world that they had the best ingredients, like unbelievably good, like lettuce from this one little field in Normandy. <laughs> like it was like succulents and like little, little ferns and who knows, it was just crazy. And then if you were there late enough, sometimes on a Wednesday or Thursday at like one, the, the oyster guy from Utah beach would arrive and like you just have like the most, the freshest oysters and you know, endless open bottles opening. And it was just, you know, a, a kind of conviviality. And it was fun talking with all those dudes. We're so into it, like so into natural wine. Um, and I, you know, I didn't think I was, I still didn't think I was going to have to make a career of it. So I was like, I was into, I was into it, but it wasn't, I, I, was, I had other ideas. <laughs> and then the, uh, you were more into it to hang out, not so much you're like, I'm going to get into this to make this my career. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I was, yeah, I was hanging out and, uh, um, you know, recovering from my divorce or whatever it was at that time. Um, uh, reading a lot, running around. I had, I had enough money, basically, that I was sort of floating for a while. And then 2008 or nine, the stock market, I, I had, you know, boom, and... Uh, then I had to come back and get into it. Because you had to make some more money. Like you were like, oh, wow. Seems to be the pattern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, did you find that they were kind of welcoming to you as in that connect, in that natural wine set? They were? Uh, in Paris, yeah. I mean, I, I had a bunch of friends in it. Um, I visited a ton of winemakers and would hang out with some of them. Uh, and, and sometimes I found them to be quite awful, frankly. I mean, yeah. Because they sometimes can be. Well, I mean, what I've found is that that whole thing where you're like, this group has more angelic people in it, uh -huh. that can be a very uh, road to either surprise or delusion. Like, because, and, you know, just because they're one style or another doesn't mean they're better people. Oh, you know what I mean? Oh, I've, I've found. In terms of their, their you, mean, you mean their aesthetic decisions don't don't reflect on their ethical right morality or <laughs> just state yeah like and some of the th same things that you see going on on like a what you might call the conventional side uh -huh. where you're like that's really dickish behavior then you can't you see it on the same way on at, i'm actually Static. talking about more like the consumer side on the natural wine side too you're like oh okay you're bragging about drinking that super rare muscadet because uh -huh. on the other side they're bragging about drinking that super rare burgundy but that's actually the same thing oh exactly you know what yeah, i mean it doesn't yeah. mean you're less of a dick just because oh, exactly you're yeah the emperor's new clothes school. applies in every you know what i'm saying to match yes i do yeah and i think that's you know i, I don't think that's just that's, normal yeah it's, it's not going to go it's away it's not just wine it's like right. the art world any aesthetic 
field, basically, has the emperor's new clothes sort of underwritten into it, I think. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it, I mean, do you know what I mean by emperor's new clothes? I do. I was actually uh, one of the seamstresses. This is true. I played it in drag in elementary school. I think it was fifth grade. Could have been, f- no, nah, it must have been earlier than that. Must have been like second grade. Dude, I want pictures. I, red wig, very Tootsie style, long dress. And I was the, I was the alternate because I showed up for a theater class and they're like, what, what the hell are you doing here? And I was like, no, this sounds like cool. Like, I'd love to be in a play. You guys are doing a play? Cool. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll put you in, but we're going to put you in it as an alternate. So you can practice with us and you can read lines and you can know the part, but probably you're not going to play. Uh-huh. And so it was like a, a, there was a few performances and I was in the second one and I actually scooped it. Like I think, as I recall, it was a big hit. Uh-huh. And the, Were you tall then too? Yeah, for that age, <laughs> yeah. And it was the yeah I played it in drag. Yeah, the like the, it was only a few lines though. Like uh-huh. I came on and like you stole the show with your few li- few lines. I was one of the seamstresses who put on the no clothes. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? So like did, you look great uh, in no clothes. Uh-huh. You know that that thing. Ah, uh, that's good. That it's does. actually been my whole life. <laughs> exactly. Subsequently, say, yeah, without the wig, you've gone on to yeah. bigger and better things. <laughs> it's pretty much <laughs> yeah. Without the sequins and the wig, it's pretty much been the whole same deal. Since <laughs> yeah, isn't it funny this what we do? Anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, natural wines. They yeah, they have their excesses and their and yeah, whatever. I don't know. So anyway, I came back to New York. Um, but you met some other people too. I mean, who would you go see? What winemakers did you see at that time? And, and what sellers were you like? Hmm, interesting to me. Uh, I remember Renee Moss was a big yeah, a big thing. He seems like a ringleader, although it's hard to see over here. Yeah, well, it is true. There are ringleaders, aren't there? Like Thierry Puzla. Um, I'd see him at all the tastings. I never went to see him out in the field. Um, the uh, but Rene Moss, uh, Hervé Villemad, whose whose cousin was my roommate um, in Paris for a while. Um, I don't know the Breton, whatever they are, a couple ish. Right. Well, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. Um, I don't know <laughs> ish. <laughs> Just. <laughs> I mean, a bunch of them. Uh, uh, yeah, but they're not all ish, though. Yeah, some of them. Yeah, some of them are actually married and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, God. Um, I, I I palled around a little bit with um, I don't know if you know Isor de Pombriand. No, who's that? She's um, Domaine de Clozel. Oh, okay. Savignan. I do. I do know her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she, all the best stories about her. <laughs> she used to take me. I you know go with her and Cyril from Verbolet to a few tastings, and I was. Therefore, invited into post-tasting inner sanctums, like like sub base, sub chalk basements in uh, in Champagne, and like amazing. Oh, really? Revelry, like because she's old school or aristocracy kind of stuff. That's what was kind of fun about it. Like yeah. Sort of like the contrast. High low. Quite yeah. High low. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I heard some crazy stories about her. Like one time, this guy was like, uh, "You have to." What was it like? Oh, it was something like he was parked in uh in her way and she's like you need to move your car and he was like no and she's like no i you really need to move your car and he was like no old lady get out of my way because she's an older small lady or whatever wait so she took her wine key and uh like went after his tires like slashed the tires with her wine key uh-huh wait no I'm, i mean are we talking about the same person close how, how old is she oh i don't know the old lady 
Like she's no, like forty five or something. Maybe more. Maybe more. Yeah. I mean, I'm my friend is younger. Oh, okay, okay. Forty five. She's probably well, she's getting up. I Domaine don't know. Domaine Closel. Domaine Closel. Not the winemaker. The daughter. Oh, the daughter. Oh, you hang with the younger set. Well, I mean. Sorry, I missed that. No, I don't even. I don't. I mean, I, I see the other one. The one to whom you are referring. At, at tastings yeah, and stuff? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, and whatever. I say, hey, how's your daughter? <laughs> right, right, right. See, that seems perfectly reasonable to me. Um, but no, it's, then there was one where she was uh, she <laughs> she was coming back from a party with her husband, and they'd been drinking a lot, and they decided to take two separate cars, and he was behind her in the car because they had two cars, and they both needed to go somewhere the next day or something. And uh, obviously, there's strict drinking laws in France, and she was pulled over. And mm-hmm. so she tells the cop, I'm so glad you're here. This man has been following me for miles in a very suspicious manner behind me. Whoa. And so the cop takes off instead of giving her a breathalyzer because she would have gotten I'm smart, uh, you know, arrested for DUI. So then she drives off, but leaving her husband, taking explain. the bag. You know what I mean? Can you believe that? <laughs> Wow. I wonder if he if it resulted in any difficulty for him besides saying no, she's my wife. Yeah, I don't she's know. Gone. I didn't hear the the you corollary to the story, um, but that's um, sounds that's the story I heard. There is a sort of a craftiness, a wicked craftiness in her daughter as well. Is that true? Well <laughs> I guess maybe I we'll maybe we won't go too far <laughs> then. That's probably already enough lawsuits probably, coming from right? this one. Yeah. Ish. Ish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I don't know, yeah. So, so you you're tasting with the aristocrats in the subterranean cellars. I suppose so, yeah. And 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 you know, it becomes very oh, like that party movie with uh, you know the Pink Panther guy. Sure. Did you ever see that? Uh, I saw several Pink Panther movies because my dad was a big fan, and this is true. <laughs> I would come home from school sometimes, and he'd be like, Aya! like when I opened the door, like Kato? his Kato, yeah, like yeah. his assistant would always attack him when he came home, and he would pretend to do that, uh-huh. and he would like pretend to that he was going to attack me. Uh, this is true. That runs in my father's side of the family as well. Just in, in lunatic humor. Well, yeah, and and the yeah, yeah, Peter Sellers. Yeah, Peter Sellers was huge for my dad. Kato. All that that whole dynamic. It's I think that's also universal. Do you think yeah. so? Because I never hear anyone talk about it anymore. I don't know what. No, Peter I mean sellers or. Oh no, I mean or, like the, the the sort of the the sidekick. Oh, the sidekick guy. You know, yeah, like, sure. I kind of want to like uh, Batman and Robin or yeah, the Don, Green Don Quixote and Sancho Panza. Sure. That, well, that probably gets a big start from that. You know <laughs> right? what I mean? Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, but I sort of feel like that would be a really good sort of group of screenplays, like secondary characters. All that sort of thing. Well, yeah, it was like the you could do like uh, what, like six secondary characters in search of an author or something like that. Yeah, uh, or, or like a movie about Robin instead of Batman. Right. Well, Kato. they do those. I know sometimes, sometimes right? Yeah. And I kind of am always interested. Yeah. It was like, well, remember when they did Beowulf and then the guy did Grendel years later? It's oh, like I didn't from the see other Grendel. side. I didn't see Grendel. I <laughs> yeah. want to see Grendel. I'm actually not a bad monster. I'm just trying to make my life here, and you're attacking me with a sword. Wow. You know I'm, what I mean? I'm hunting that kind that of down. stuff. Yeah. Wow. Did you ever see that Twilight Zone where, like, the whole time you're with this lady who's trying to kill these little uh, things that are running around? They're her house. She's terrified of them, and they're harassing her, and uh, she is trying to club them and stuff like that and mm-hmm. kill them. And then the little guys are. Uh, they take off in a NASA space 
shuttle. And it was the whole time you thought you were sympathizing with the lady who was trying to kill the little aliens, but oh, it turns oh, out but they were us. They were us. Ah, and she was, it was like a land of giants. And so at the end, as the spaceship, as these guys are escaping and the spaceship takes off, you realize that that's us and our perspective mm-hmm. of sympathy had been with the wrong side. Uh-huh. Yeah, Gulliver kind of thing. Yeah, very Gulliver. It was just <laughs> like that. It was, it was an early TV show when it was black and white. I know. I, just, I, I saw so many of them. don't remember that one, though. So you, you come back to the United States. Uh, come back, uh, yeah. To make some dough because you're out of money. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, a friend who was the F&B person for uh, the Maritime Hotel, uh, those guys, now worked for Andre Balas. And oh, okay, okay. So he called me to like to come help him get the standard going. Sure, the original one, because yeah. there's two now. Yeah, I barely even knew that. And um, so it was before they had a restaurant, there was just a bar. So we were just discussing. I had to make I don't know fifteen different possible wine lists to satisfy all their powerful investors, and one with twenty wines. You had to make five hundred possibles, wine. dude. It was insane. And I was in Paris, like sweating. Oh, I I buy. I need to buy. Like, because you can't. You don't just like make a list of wines. You you dig. Like you have to like make sure they're available. Right, 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 right. And if you right. put them on the list, they're gonna be. They're gonna show up. And, and what price would that be? And all that's that stuff. insane. Yeah, you know. So it was a lot of work. And so um, the vintage is still correct. And, yeah, like it hasn't changed. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, know what I mean. The know, reality sort of. It's not like. Yeah. You know what we do is hard. It's not an um, Amazon wish list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. So anyway, so then I, and I was still hoping, he was like, I'm not sure how it's going to work out. Maybe you can go back and forth. Not sure what role we want you to play. If, you That's know. always good when someone t- says to you that they're not sure what role they want you to play. <laughs> right. That's but, always. <laughs> but for now, yes, you can go back and forth. They even sent me to, uh, sort of sent me to uh, Chateau Marmont to check out that situation. Oh, sure. Well, that's pretty. You're chilling by the pool with all the movie stars? I, mean, I just showed up one night and it was almost de- empty. The, You're like, the put the me in Belushi's room. <laughs> if only. Uh, just to see if what I thought about the wine list and I don't know. So, but yeah. then, but then um, I don't know how long it was, a month or two months or something. Apparently some investor couldn't Google me. I know that's sort of what my what my friend said, so I was out. Well, then you had a name. I didn't have a big enough not name. Yeah, they were like, "Oh, Il Buco." Yeah, 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 yeah. for something like that. You weren't on LinkedIn, so they were like, "You're out of here." But I have, um, but I've, I, I, it was, I think it's the only time I've ever been fired. But it's the, um, we were like, "Dude, my name is fucking Bill." (laughs) There's ten thousand bills. (laughs) That's why I chose Levy because I was like, "You Google that shit, (laughs) coming right up, pages and pages of results." There's also. The thing is, if you Google Bill Fitch, you get the basketball coach for like 200 pages. Right. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. That's what you're fighting against. So you're effed. Oh, no. You know what I mean? But uh, but they also I, they also fired um, they fired a lot of people. But yeah. the, the, the next person they hired was Andrew Bell. Well, gone soon. Um, I think someone from Per Se fired. Like, I, I don't know what, you know. I, so I don't feel so bad. Right, right, right. right. Well, I'm not. We're Eric, still friends. Eric, Eric, you know what I mean? Eric Ripier, I think. Ripier was 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 fired from from their Miami thing, you know, like, duh, like, why would you do that? I don't know. <laughs> and uh, this guy doesn't know anything about fish. <laughs> I'm trying to open up a restaurant in Miami that does fish. So whatever, they have their own reasons and modus operandi. Um, 
so then I then my um my little brother's girlfriend told me about her friend who was opening Vinegar Hill House. Oh, okay, okay. So we made. Seems it. like there's a lot of ex girlfriends and girlfriends involved in your job process. I don't know. Is that not normal? <laughs> You're like, screw Google. I got my own social network. <laughs> well, my, bo- my my boyfriend, my my little brother's girlfriend. So, yes. I like how you kept it in the family. It's like Wuthering Heights. It's like the next generation. You know what I mean? That's awesome. Still fighting the fight, but. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, and so, yeah, me and Gene, Gene Ad- Adamson, the my 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 boss. Um, and I met at Katz's Delicatessen. We hit it off. Nice. Oh, boom. Didn't have to eat for another day. Didn't what? After you ate there, you didn't have to eat for another day because you were completely full. Week. Um, so, and she let me keep going back and forth. That's been, um, I said, that's, well, yeah, that was, we, we've, we made a deal and that deal is still in place. And how long has it been at the Vinegar Hill? Uh, it's been, um, it's been open for about four and a half years, but they didn't get their. I started in February when they got their liquor license. This so, February? No, four years ago, February. Four, okay, okay. So okay. four years and whatever, a couple months. And how? I mean, what's changed over the course of the time it's been open? Um, more wines. The clientele's a little different, and I think we've gone through a similar process of, you know, new hipster places opening and then finding their. Um, Seems like some have tanked or had to change concept. Yeah, and who knows? I mean, we haven't you hit the five-year mark, you which haven't I guess done is that. The, the magic mark. Like after you get five years, maybe you can say, okay, we were kind of a success. But um, Do you feel like you've changed the neighborhood a little bit? Um, I guess. Uh, it's not – I mean, many neighbors love us. Uh there is the problem it's hard to have like car services coming and honking. But otherwise, no. I mean, the neighborhood is just that one block. It's just us and now Hillside on the corner. Which is your other place. Yeah. And uh, so, of course, we've changed, it's changed. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I hear. You're not taking credit for it is what you're saying. You're like. Oh, hell no. no. Yeah. Because you don't even live there. So you're like. Yeah, I don't live there. Um, yeah, nothing. I'm, I spent that. a lot of time there. Um, I know that uh, that there are people there that have been there for a long time that don't like the the new, you know, what, what's happening. kids. There's one block. Yeah. Um, and then some people that really uh, like are desperate for us to yeah. be there. So yeah, I don't know. It's New York. It happens. Not everyone's gonna be happy. Uh-huh. Usually, I understand the, the 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 urge to be a hermit and to disappear and not to have any. I would love to, you know, because it, it, it is kind of like for me, like Portland or like a little urban oasis. I'm sorry, a rural o- oasis. That's yeah, nice. That's what Vinegar Hills like. Kind of, yeah. I, 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 you know, just those few blocks. Sweet. There's there's like different birds there. There's like giant caller, furry caterpillars. Like there's I don't know. There's some kind. It's a different ecosystem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah. And speaking of that, how did you design the wine list for that different ecosystem? Um, well, I mean, it started in, you know, when when the when the crisis, the Great Recession, was uh, more. I don't know. People were more conscious about it, and so it was, it was designed to be cheap. And it's sort of continued in that vein. Although for me, now we have. A few wines above a hundred dollars, 
Um, but the markups are quite low. Um, and it's nice. We do a lot of volume for such a, for, for that size place. Um, and I, I've also been, you know, I, I don't go to, I don't get to taste a lot of things that I used to taste a lot because I have to taste so many cheaper wines, you know, like basically wholesale. I mean, can I even talk about this? I don't know. It seems, I don't know. Gauche. It, it seems like the natural wine thing is in keeping with wines under a hundred dollars usually. Oh Yeah. Yeah, although they're creeping up like everything else, right. like friggin' Cru Beaujolais or right. 80 bucks on the yeah. list and stuff. Angry, yeah. yeah. It's crazy, actually. <laughs> but, mean, you know, it's in They're a, great. It's they're, they're right, right. great. That's good for them. But on the other hand, it's been so nice to have them so low for so long. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's it's basically just a constant. It's grown a lot, you know. Um, and we've, and as we've grown, um, so there's what? I don't know. 110 wines, something like that. Not a ton, not even that much, really. But, um, but yeah, it's just, I'm just trying to find, you know, a variety. And I want to, like, a, like maybe I'll have two Burgundies, um, maybe two of one Appalachian. But I like to have a, as much variety as possible, um, and not to repeat styles too much. Although I. I tend to always to have a lot of Grenache blends, you know, Grenache, Morvedre, Sanso, Grenache, Carignan, whatever. Well, those are cheap now. They're cheap. And, and they're, they're accessible. And they're kind of good for our food. And so, uh, yeah, I mean. It's you find been, the customer response, people dig it? People seem to dig it. I, I'm, yeah. I've been very lucky. I mean, um, and, and, it's, and it's funny how it's changed since 2004 when I was, you know, back then. You had to have a Pinot Grigio, pretty much. I know, I remember. <laughs> you had yeah. to have a, an Australian Shiraz. Yeah. Um, I, I, I so I, I right when I, when I did the list, I had Alcumi, um, Australian uh, Shiraz. Yeah. Boom, nothing. Nothing would like, happen with it. I didn't have Pinot Grigio, but like Chardonnay wouldn't sell. I can barely sell Chardonnay now. Um, some people for the for, for the for the consistent but rare customer that asks for an oaky chardonnay i mean maybe this is just brooklyn um you know we have a brief we say that sometimes distinct you know you can actually taste the oak but pretty much chardonnay even like macon like all kinds of inexpensive chardonnay i've tried a lot some move but not a lot people want a geeky experience i guess um although we don't sell mostly geeky wines if whatever that means i mean um do you feel like you're required to have things like we used to be required to have things? Because um, I remember that era. Like, right. boy, I have to have this. So now is it like I have to have a sherry and an orange wine or what? Uh, I think uh, I think I think those pressures are real, and and you know you you got to make money for your restaurant. So right. if I think that's that's one. Yeah, I think that's that those pressures are real, and you have to respond to them. I mean, it's what makes sense to respond to them, depending on the place. I mean, like I know Fifi, for, for example, at Ten Bells is like, "Fuck Sauvignon Blanc," and I can't do that. Yeah, I like Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, I, mean, I don't. I don't see, I, even Merlot. I like Merlot. I like Chirac. Like I like. Yeah, there's all these. There's so many good ones. Like I think it's, but I but Sauvignon Blanc does take away often from other sales. Like it'll just if right. you, if I have a Sancerre on the list, boom, like other things diminish so yeah i know exactly what you mean by that yeah i've watched it happen i mean you put 
you have 10 wines that you really believe in, you put one sense air there and you watch those other 10 wines like sell half as much or a third as much. Yeah, so it's fun to, but and, and I feel lucky that we have the both interested servers and staff that, that, that are jazzed by cool wines or, you know, adventurous whatever wines. And also clientele that's that asks for them like yeah I, like i feel like um and also changes like when i first put orange a couple orange wines on a couple years ago i don't remember um which the like a baya um arboreous or whatever which is a good one it's but it's expensive for it's us expensive yeah. um and uh and a couple others that i had they didn't they were just no oh really no no movement almost none a little bit but not enough hype on the orange wines, huh? Yeah, and, so, and for me, that's a kind of problem at that time, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, I think that's true, actually. But uh, so so because there's not a lot of room on the list, uh, you know, I'm looking for... Things that are going to... Move a little bit. Yeah, try there. some other, something else. Right. And then, in fact, they didn't move. So when we opened Hillside, I just put them on there. And boom. They moved. Really? Everybody wants one. Like I, I have to have one by the glass even. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that from somebody else. <laughs> the guy who works at Hotel de Mano is like, if I put anything skin macerated for under $20 a glass by the glass, it immediately moves. On the other hand, if I put it, it once it starts to get warm, if I put a, a chilled red on, even if it's not like a gamma hay or a light something or other, like, boom. Boom, right? Like, why? I don't know. Like, people think it's... I don't know. I mean, I, not that I don't like a good, a nice. Well, in a way, that's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. Skin macerated white that's served cold and right. chilled but, red. Maybe that's the move. Anything chilled. And it's also sort of <laughs> a little different. <laughs> that's the move, you know. Um, but uh, so I don't know. But it's, it, it, it's always entertaining to to sort of. You're saying when you have your own personal thing and you're not too affected by it, you can kind of look around. Like you have a taste and you know what you enjoy. And you're not so affected by trend. You're kind of amused by trends. Is that what you're really saying? Oh, I mean, yeah. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, like, I mean, it, it can be amusing. Like when you couldn't sell Merlot after Sideways. Right. Like, I mean, okay, there's a lot of lame Merlot, but it's not a horrible grape. I mean, people enjoyed it before. You know, those sorts of things are. But I think those are, they're, they're, it's fascinating how that sort of subjective element affects um, not just you know, the commercial wine world or whatever, but how we imagine what we're drinking. You know, like it's so much imagination. Like, like. Do you think it's the same with perfume? Totally. Like seriously, oh, like with the marketing of perfume and yeah, you know what I mean, affecting the it's, perception it's, in the market. And that's partly because we don't know so much about olfaction, and we're all I when I, I used, when I was into perfume. There's this place in Portland called the Perfume House run by this awesome and creepy uh, Adams family-like family. And the guy would, the, 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 the father would, would say, close your eyes, and like spray a little cloud of perfume <laughs> and say, advance through the cloud. <laughs> and like, I, I loved, I was so into that. I do that with Sherry sometimes. Oh. Sherry missed. <laughs> Advance through, <laughs> advance through the Oloroso. <laughs> I could do that. The um, well, that's good. <laughs> I can see doing that in your in your dress or whatever. You're right, for right, the, right. The emperor's new yeah. clothes. Well, that's a whole effect. Oh you know? God, that's so hilarious. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. So yeah, uh, for me, that's the fun part. I mean, I I loathe like the Robert so, Parker. So are you saying it was well, a blind tasting of perfume? Is that what you're saying? Like you, you didn't know what it was, and you would walk through it, and then you would. He would do that sometimes, especially because he knew I, he had my number. Like I could, I'd, I'd, I'd max out credit cards, not knowing oh, okay, how okay, I would. Okay, okay. You know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah. But this place was amazing because uh, there was a, there, you know, the, uh, at the turn of the century before communism in, in Russia, some of the greatest perfumers were, were Russians, and there was a Russian community about twenty miles outside of Portland, maybe even less, and. They would go there all the time because this guy had a museum of perfumes and he knew the history of of uh, a perfumer. He was, in, he was in a nose and he worked in, I guess, Germany or something as a nose for a while. And these these like seriously babushkas, like they were, you know, yeah, dre- with the hat and stuff. culturally like dressed traditionally kind of would come in and like. Be, fill this space and he would like tell them all about these perfumers and they remember like their grandparents telling them about these right. great perfumers and he would do the same with them and they'd like be, they'd like cry and get all emotional and I, I think that's really kind of amazing but I mean the same thing can happen with food like if my wife makes a hamburger <laughs> like my dad used to make a hamburger just by through random chance yeah or happens to make spaghetti that way or a salad that way. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because there's a million iterations of how that dish could be done. Mm-hmm. But one day it hits the table and it's that way uh-huh. that you grew up with. Wow. That can be, it's not it's, just a normal meal all of a Proust, sudden. It's Proust. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's very, yeah. It's just, it's, it's a, uh, what is it called? Something memory. The, the, Madeline thing, or yeah, but the, the memory is I can't remember. Retro nasal. No, I was going to say that too. <laughs> but it's like that. Um, it brings it back. Brings it back to Bill Fitch. We're gonna bring it back to Bill Fitch. We're gonna oh, bring it back to what's next for you? What are you gonna do next? Oh, oh, I'm going to Georgia. You are? Yeah. Georgia. No, Which Georgia are we yeah, talking about? The the the, the wine producing. Okay, okay. Nation. See, because I screwed that up. Well, I mean, I that's kind of fine, um, but uh, oh, um, when are you going? Um, for a week, June fifth to the twelfth. And what's the what's Why? the scenario? Uh the scenario is uh, it's the qu- query or quivery, whatever sure. um, symposium. And there's going to be a bunch of tasting. That, you know, they're trying to. They did all, last year, yeah. Get us all into the yeah the know, orange stuff. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah, or and, don't call it M four though. Yeah, don't call it M four, pitches. Um, so. I was going to go horseback riding with this guy, John, from Pheasant's Tears. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. And I still intend to, because like, he offered. And like he was like, two months, you can, we'll ride over the spine of the Caucasus and dip down into the valleys and then back up, like, and just like... No way. Way. It's like Dr. Zhivago with horses <laughs> Dude, instead of trains. so awesome. What? <laughs> so I'm like, I'm there. Like, yeah. When? And, and he was like, June. And I, so I was scheming. wasn't looking like I was going to be able to go this June, maybe later, but... And then they just said, come for free for a week. So, but I'm a little bit frightened, frankly, because I have experience with Slavic men, old <coughs> Slavic men. <coughs> and, and ish. Ish. You have experience ish. ish with, exactly. Yeah. And they, and even in Paris, I went to this, this Georgian tasting because Thierry Puzla is now yeah, that's right. importing into France. All the Georgian wines are many of them. And there's all these like, 
grim looking dudes. This is my wine. And, you know, I would spit and they'd be like, no spit. Right. Drink, drink. You know, like, I'd, well, I'll tell you a funny scary. story about that. Voda Pivik went up there to uh-huh. learn about winemaking in Georgia because uh-huh. he wanted to do clay macerated stuff uh-huh. in Italy in, uh-huh. uh, in Carso. Uh-huh. And he, so there's many facets of this story but one is that there's no handbook in italy in any library that tells you how to make wines like this uh-huh. and there's very few people you can talk to mm-hmm. so he's like i'm going to go to georgia and he also lives near the border so he hires a translator he goes and he does like uh internships at at different wineries there uh-huh. and he said that the hardest part was just keeping up with the drinking yeah because he said that the the average consumption there is uh it's roughly two to three bottles a person per day uh-huh. and he said that the drinking games would get really intense and every time they cheers you were expected to drink your thing all the way down to the bottom yeah. and they cheers a lot uh-huh. and uh the whole thing was just uh being able to handle it mm-hmm. and still wake up and do stuff like that was the most challenging part it wasn't like oh the special kind of clay or you know pushing it down with the thing or anything the yeah. hardest part was going and holding up with the drinking yeah i there's no way i'm i'm i, I i'm epileptic so i have to be like no no way and i, I don't know if they'll understand maybe they'll think i'm you know pussying out or something I well I, I think that that has um that is something that comes up with a lot of epileptics over time in different situations. Like that, that the people don't understand why. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or, and then there's a weird thing, and then they cast them out as witches or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, that, it's, it's been it's, a problem it's in a, history. It's, it's, you know it's a very I mean? interesting, yeah, history. Um, I don't, th- I, I, I don't think that's still the case in Georgia. Maybe. Well, hard to say. I mean, I haven't been. I haven't read through the the, the, caucuses, the caucuses and the spines. Maybe there are pockets you know? where they're still. <laughs> expose their epileptic babies and you know well i mean <laughs> uh <laughs> i was i was watching the grovner video on youtube you know it's in two parts you know where he goes to georgia and, mm-hmm. and it's not uh super high tech you know what i mean like little babies running around with no clothes on stuff yeah. like that it's pretty yeah. you know but that was a couple of years ago so it's it's always been my like before i die i would like to uh ride my bike around the black sea and so i'm I, i'm that's my secret mission is to see how if that's possible there did you tell the guy from peasant's tears this yeah that's i'm why sorry i always call it peasant's tears oh well, that's that's uh, not, i wouldn't have noticed even yeah um, sorry it's peasant's tears <laughs> yeah. sorry it's not yeah yeah he, i told him that and then he was like dude come well you're a good guy and i'm glad you're on the show today you're very kind bill fitch of vinegar hill house and hillside thanks for being here my pleasure thank you all drink to that is hosted and produced by myself levy dalton Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.